Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Q&A Questions with your favorite athletes. But this time, we've got a doctor in the house for episode 25, Dr. Elliot Cleveland of Limitless Therapy, a doctor in physical therapy as well. Now, Elliot, tell me a bit more about yourself. What is it that you do exactly? Because many may be familiar with the title of a physical therapist, but not many know what you do exactly. Give us a broad or maybe a more specific detail of that. Yeah, so in the world of physical therapy, I've really honed in on sports and orthopedics and how do we prevent injuries in athletes and how do we help athletes recover better. That doesn't always mean recover faster. That means recover really well because we want to try to prevent an injury from happening a second time. One of the biggest factors in getting hurt is having a history of having been hurt already. Mm -hmm. So we're not necessarily doing athletes a service by rushing them back out onto the field or out onto the court if we haven't actually let them heal completely mm. and taken some extra precautions to try to prevent that from happening again. So I really love working with young people, mentoring young people and working with young athletes, and this is my medium to be able to get back to them. Now, you've done a lot of services for a lot of universities, and you know, as you can see with my Anderson Trojan logo <laughs> on my shirt, you know, you've done a lot with Anderson as well. Tell me how you got here exactly either onto this podcast or just into Anderson in general? Yeah, I had a close connection with one of the surgeons in Greenville, mm -hmm. and he was working with one of AU's um, star soccer players at the time. And so he had done a surgery with her and said, hey, I want you to be able to handle the rehab. It's going to take a lot. It's going to be a very long rehab, and I really trust you to be able to work with her. Do you have some relationships out there? Mm -hmm. I said, no, I don't have any relationships out there, <laughs> which is not always a great thing because sometimes you walk in and um, especially if you're going to work with a university that may or may not have um, physical therapy provision, we're trying to figure out what can we do to be able to take care of this athlete. So a little bit of background is Limitless Therapy right now. Um, we have in-person offices in Greenville, and then we offer mobile sessions where we go to wherever our clients need us to be. Mm -hmm whether that is going to the training room with them if their trainers are open to that or going to the soccer field or um, going to their house back home if that's where they wow. need us to be. So we try to remove a lot of the barriers to getting world-class healthcare. And for athletes like university athletes, one of those big barriers is your crazy schedule. Mm -hmm. So we try to come to them on their terms to make it easier. And that often means coming in early before classes mm -hmm. and doing what most traditional physical therapy clinics would not even consider within their office hours. So um, I was able to reach out to some of the trainers at Anderson University, and they were an outstanding group of people that yes. said, we would love your help to be able to manage this person's care. Mm -hmm. It is what, your, what her doctor had recommended. And so um, we're able to be in tandem and in partnership with saying, how can we best take care of this person? And sometimes that meant um, coming to the training room. Sometimes that meant going to her house where she was locally, uh, but being able to see her through that plan of care. Now, what that meant long term was there were also some other athletes that got injured in the process that the trainer said, hey, I'd like some help with in managing this. I've needed a little bit of additional support. Athletic trainers really have a busy job. And if you have an athletic trainer, thank them for the incredible work they do to keep you healthy um, because they work a ton of hours. And so anything that we can do to take a load off their plate um, is always helpful. 
to them and to the athletes to be able to give them that specific care. So we went from one patient to having a couple that needed help and um, then developing some relationships with some of the training staff and then some of the strength training staff at Anderson University, which I love being able to work with and bounce ideas off of because Jen and Hunter and Corey have all been fantastic individuals at helping some of these athletes get back to their full potential after they've come back from an injury. Now, I want to jump right into the whole care for these athletes. Mm -hmm. You know, what are some of the ways that athletes can avoid these injuries? How do you help alongside that, maybe in the teaching process of it? And you you mentioned a few on the phone with me last night. We could dive into a few of those right now if you'd like. Yeah, one of the big ways that the athletes can avoid injuries Mm -hmm. is by taking care of their bodies beforehand. So an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm-hmm. I want to be on the front side giving education to the athletes. And I think most healthcare providers and strength staff see that the same way too. We want to think about what are the, the methods we can put on the front end of things to help them be their best beforehand. So if you're an athlete listening to this, you have to take recovery seriously. You also have to take your strength and conditioning seriously. You can't think, well, you know, I played this position on the field I don't really need to do those three lifts as hard or as well as, you know, some other positions that may be in this sport. Well, you really should pick the brain of your strength coach because if they're prescribing something and saying, hey, we really want you to test at this level for X, Y, or Z exercise, meet that level and exceed it. Mm -hmm. Did you happen to watch the Last Dance documentary on Netflix? I did, just a bit, just a bit. (laughs) So what was the thing that Tim Grover always said about Michael Jordan? He always said, I'd give him this much to do, and he'd always exceed that. If I said six reps, he was doing finding a way to do eight reps. Or if I said we're going to do two sets of this exercise, he'd go in and add a third. Michael Jordan in the 1990s, before all this injury prevention research came about, mm-hmm. he sought out – he was the only Bulls player that sought out an additional trainer in the process. He was already the best player in the NBA. He didn't need to go find another trainer – to be competitive with the other people in the league, but he wanted to be the best. And the best required an extra step, which was having that personalized care and that attention to detail to say, what else can be done? And so what we really try to do is also say, what else could we do for these athletes Mm -hmm. and explain it to them in a way that they understand. So a big part of my job is, yes, coming up with the programming and saying what What does it need to look like um, lower body-wise, upper body-wise, and core-wise to be able to get this athlete in shape for their sport? Mm -hmm. But the most important part of that is the buy-in from the athlete. What does education need to look like so that they understand and buy into that process? Mm -hmm. And that part is where, unfortunately, in our healthcare system, we've gotten so busy that we don't always take the time to go through the education and make sure that the Um, athlete or the patient, whoever it is, really understands why we're doing what we're doing. One of the things I love about your generation is they love to know the why behind what they do. Yes. And they flat out don't do it if they don't know the why behind it. Too much. (laughs) Yeah. You came through the the COVID generation of having a couple years of school taken away from you. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone got on social media or digital media, and thankfully you have all the information in the world at your fingertips. Every bit of it. (laughs) And so many of the athletes are looking around going, I see this being done on social media. What does that look like for me? And so we're trying to deliver some of that expert level care here locally and be able to put some of that information out. We don't want them to feel like 
there's this cookie cutter regimen to what you should do. We want it to be very specialized and personalized. So to what you said about how do we prevent injuries, we got to educate. That's number one. And that's different for every sport. That's different for every position on the field. Mm -hmm. Number two is, and a lot of times, we got to get stronger. Mm. Um, Back in the 80s, sports teams didn't have strength and conditioning coaches. They thought extra muscle actually slowed them down most Mm. of the time. So if you look at the history of weightlifting in college football, for example, which is coming to AU, we better go ahead and be ahead of the curve. So um, if you look in weightlifting for football and you look back at pictures from the 50s and 60s and all those decades, there weren't weightlifting coaches. There weren't students out there weightlifting because they thought that would mess them up at their position. Um, what's the, is it Junction Boys? The, like, Paul Bear Bryant days. Oh. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about, but I can't remember. <laughs> the name does not pop they in did, my head. They did not weightlift back that's, then. That's insane because it was such, still such a high caliber of play that they brought to the field. Right. And so mm. a lot of that was genetics and just yeah. good old farm boy strength. Yeah, that's why you um, don't hear of a lot of athletes from that time. You just hear specific ones that make big impacts. Right. Hmm. And some of that is luck of the draw. Like, did that person just avoid injury? And that's why their career lasted so long. Um, But then throughout the years, we've added all these pieces. We've added strength and conditioning. Mm -hmm. And when you go up against a team that's physically stronger than you, Nine out of ten times, they're probably going to win. Yeah. yeah. Not only are they going to win, but you might be at risk of getting injured because yes. you're literally getting beaten down. Yes. And so injuries often happen when you are fatigued. Mm. So that conditioning plays such a large role mm-hmm. in preventing injuries. Then there are some injury prevention programs that can be put in place. For soccer, for example, there's something called the FIFA 11 warm-up that mm-hmm. goes over certain knee positions in landing, jumping, cutting, and running that take place on the soccer field and train you to have the body control Mm -hmm. to sustain the proper position so that you're less likely to have a knee injury like an ACL tear. Mm -hmm. Um, Other sports, we don't have that great of predictors, like football. I mean, heck, you're getting hit all the time. We can't necessarily stop the violence of the sport, but we can put you in the right equipment to be able to withstand it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, what I see with some of these tackling changes is there's fewer, there might be fewer concussions or head traumas, Mm -hmm. but now where's the defense taking the hit? They're taking the hits in their shoulders Mm -hmm. instead of the crown of their helmet. So now how do we protect their shoulders? So sometimes when you stop one problem, you create another in the world of sports medicine, and we're just trying to continuously stay alert for what the next thing to prevent is. Another big piece of this is, like I said, recovery. Mm -hmm. One of your biggest risk factors of sustaining an injury when you're an athlete is how much have you slept. Mm. If you come in less with less than six hours of sleep compared to an athlete that's at the eight or more mark, you're at about a 1.7 to two times risk of getting hurt. Hmm. So college athletes that are staying up late cramming for an exam Mm -hmm. or they stay up late in their dorm talking to their friends or hanging out, whatever it is, that plays itself out on the field. We Mm -hmm. have to make sure that you understand how important the night before is to your performance the next day. Now, is that a focus issue because of the sleep? It's a combination. So Mm -hmm. one of the big things when you don't have sleep, like you said, is your mental focus is not the same Mm -hmm. the next day. And then when you're not as mentally focused, we're talking about these little bitty micro details that you know as an athlete when you're playing your sport. Mm-hmm. It's the small details that make you special. Yes. And when you can't 
push that extra one or two percent into a cut or you can't turn on the afterburners one or two percent more to avoid getting hit or get to the next level Hmm. um, that will play itself out in terms of you being able to avoid an injury Hmm. and then there's also the physical fatigue that comes with not getting sleep and we know by putting different monitors on athletes at the highest level that when the fatigue starts to set in, that's when the athletes are at greatest risk. Mm-hmm. That's a big problem in the NBA right now. And they're trying to solve it with the avoidance of back-to-back games, but you see the load management taking place yes. because of the medical science saying these players are too fatigued. When they're getting to this level of fatigue, that's when all the injuries are happening. Yes. And a lot of these teams are saying, I'd rather lose you for six back-to-back games or the you know the second of those in the back-to-back mm-hmm. series than lose you for eight weeks due yes. to an injury. Mm-hmm. So I think the NBA has its own problems to work out yes. in regards to that. But because they're losing a lot of superstars as well that would have very heightened careers and you know longer careers if it weren't for these injuries due to the fatigue. Absolutely. And in some ways they're upsetting the fans though because the mm-hmm. fans pay a ton of money for these tickets and they don't know if their star player is going to be showing up that exactly. night. So if I was running the NBA, I think one of the best recommendations I've heard is lessen the length of a game mm. a little bit. Hmm. No one's missing. Let's, I mean, we don't want to get too into the, the majors at this yeah. time, but I'm sure there's some NBA fans listening oh, to this. Absolutely are. So you've got 12-minute quarters rather than first try to take out the next of a back-to-back and go from an 82-game schedule down to a 72-game schedule, Mm -hmm. there's a slippery slope in reasoning there. Why not cut it from 72 down to 60? There's there's a never-ending slope of, well, we could do less and less and less. Mm -hmm. That's not a good strategy. Keep the current schedule as is, but lessen the length of an individual game. Mm -hmm. That way the players aren't as fatigued going into the next day. Mm -hmm. That's one way to do it. Um, And that mimics more of what the players grew up in the college game which is 40 minute games Mm -hmm. so um, but those are some of the topics on how do we prevent injuries in our athletes now you mentioned over covid that a lot of people took to social media you know talking about ways you know to prevent injury you know things with athletics but along that comes a lot of disinformation or misinformation i should say now let's get into some of the myths that a lot of people hear in regards to keeping themselves healthy, preventing injury, you know, a lot of these signs of recovery as well. You know, could you dive into that for me? Because I know a lot of people believe a lot of a lot of these myths. I'm sure you have a few examples. Yeah. Number one, static stretching does not prevent injuries. That means when you sit down and you reach for your toes, like you're stretching out your hamstrings or you have this whole static stretching ritual before a game, it does not correlate to injury risk. Hmm. Things that do tend to increase performance, not necessarily change injury risk, Mm -hmm. are things like a dynamic warm-up or a sports-specific warm-up where you're going through the skills that you're going to be doing Mm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my professors at the Medical University of South Carolina said he'd he'd read a research study on people who statically stretched right before going and doing a specific track event, Mm -hmm. and they had less power and strength in those events for about an hour after doing their static stretching. Wow. I mean, your game is gone at that point, or your practice is half-wasted if your strength is technically lower, Mm -hmm. Um, which stretching is not a bad thing. 
I don't want that to be the mis the misnomer here. There's value in stretching. Mm-hmm. It helps decrease your soreness after a practice or after a lift. It can cause some increases in your mobility and your range of motion. Just know that if you're just talking about preventing an injury, it's not necessarily that helpful unless it's used in a very specific way for mm-hmm. your body type and your reason. So um, that's one big myth. Make sure you're doing something that is related to the activity because that's what's going to help you perform your best. Hmm. So if you are going out and playing basketball, it's more important to do the drills beforehand that loosen you up rather than sit there for 15 minutes and try to stretch out right off the bat. Hmm. Um, the <clears throat> One of the other big ways or, or myths out there is that people see these functional training things done on Instagram or on TikTok, and sometimes you got to master the basics first. What do you mean by that? Think about basketball. What's going on at the AAU level right now in basketball? Every kid thinks they can go be Steph Curry and shoot the three. Yes, unfortunately. (laughs) They haven't mastered the basics that allowed Steph Curry to be able to shoot like that. So you get on social media and if you start getting into fitness mm-hmm. and viewing some fitness videos all of a sudden all of a sudden the algorithm is going to show you every cool weightlifting thing done under the sun but first you got to master just some of the basic motions mm-hmm. and do them at a high level before you try to add on new things to your strength and conditioning routine you got to be able to do a push yes. you got to be able to do a a squat a lift off the ground you got to be able to do a certain pressing and a certain carrying level and be really well-rounded in those movements before stacking on mm. what looks cool and might get you know 100,000 views on a social media, media video mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily help you become a better athlete or isn't the only way to train. So master the basics first. Learn to walk before you learn how to run. Yes. Then throw in some specific things at the end of that. Hmm. Now, sleep-wise, you know, we were talking about that earlier. You know, you mentioned the idea that some people can, some people think they can run off of, you know, eight hours or or six hours or less and still think it's functional. I know a lot of athletes that you mentioned beforehand, you know, that, you know, cram in exams late at night or up talking with their friends or out partying, you know, things of that nature. You know, what they think that just because they're young, they think that their bodies can handle that. That's obviously not true, correct? Correct. And one of the biggest losses when people are losing sleep is reaction time. Mm-hmm. And if you got a bunch of athletes and you said, okay, I'm going to have a group of athletes that didn't get X amount of sleep in this group and in the group beside them across the court is well-rested athletes. Mm-hmm. And say you all took like tennis balls and somebody was dropping them mid-court and they had to race to that mm-hmm. or do some sort of fast reaction drill. You see losses in that reaction time in the athletes that haven't slept very well. Hmm. That's one of the quickest things that translates onto the court or onto the field. If you don't have that speed of reaction time, that's a problem in not just your risk of injury, but that's a problem in your performance. Yes. And uh, that goes into more of a probably personal habit <laughs> style. Yes. Sometimes we don't always have the scheduling opportunity to get good sleep like we want to, but oftentimes we do. And so if you've got the time, and you need to be proactive in how you schedule your exams or how you schedule um, recharge time or time with friends, time with family, whatever that is, you need to look ahead at your calendar when you get it at the beginning of the season or at the beginning of the semester and go ahead and say, I have to accomplish X in my studies or I need to be here academically so that when this stretch of you know back-to-back games or this stretch of away games hits, that I'm not scrambling to get everything done academically. Mm-hmm. 
or cover everything off the field with my responsibilities outside of sport because that's something we haven't even talked about is yeah. everybody's got off the field responsibilities some more than others mm-hmm. how do we manage that and really time management and being proactive is a big key to your success on the field